You're listening to the Soul Strategies podcast hosted by the team here at Soul Strategies. We hope you like the latest episode and thanks for tuning in. Hi, welcome to the Soul Strategies podcast. I'm the new host, James Ray. My Twitter is at Make It Rain and my TikTok is at James Gets Political. Today, we're going to be talking about Gen Z and the relation to the current politics of today with my guest, Josh Willis. Josh is the Twitter director for the progressive organization Done Waiting. And he is also a TikTok content creator and political left-wing activist at the handle Steez the Means, where he talks eco-socialist policymaking on the platform. How are you doing today, Josh? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I can't complain, man. So I, I, today we're going to be talking basically just about Gen Z and their politics. So do you want to get us started off with what you're seeing and what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, Gen Z is shows kind of this really interesting left-leaning to their politics that we really haven't seen in a while. And I think that um, it's something that we can talk about and get into in more detail. But I think as a member of Gen Z, you're also a member of Gen Z. We kind of do see these trends, especially as the older members of Gen Z, um, about how potentially social media um, and also like world events that we've lived through have kind of influenced the politics of our generation in a way that previous generations really haven't. Um, I think that that's something that's really interesting to take a look at. No, I completely agree. You know, I, um, it's important to note that data from Pew seems to indicate that Gen Z is increasingly left-leaning, especially compared to their millennial and, and older uh, counterparts, but also that there are some really specific instances where they're in, uh, inherently more progressive than the others by a mile, um, whether that be support of more left-leaning policies than just simple liberalism, or whether that be um, support of a lot of like gender identity-based politics that we've been seeing in the last couple of uh, years, specifically, uh, at least in the mainstream of American politics. So I think it's really interesting. You said on your end that you're noticing a lot of energy. Where are you seeing it and what are you thinking? So I'm honestly seeing a lot of the energy on social media uh, specifically. I know that our organization, Done Waiting, is a primarily social media-based organization. Um, we're totally volunteer. We have a lot of kids who just want an outlet for their politics. You know, they might live in a uh, really heavy Republican district or a district where they have a Democratic representative who they feel kind of governs too much to the center, something that they don't feel is, is a reflection of their politics. And they kind of want a way to kind of, you know, put their energy, their more progressive energy out into the, the country uh, in a way that is going to have actually lead to some change in, in their uh, perspective. So I think that given the fact that like our organization kind of works in these primarily social media spaces. I know that when I found the organization, I found it over Twitter. A lot of our, uh, a lot of our organization brings in uh, volunteers from TikTok and stuff like that. I think that there's just this energy of these younger students. And, and, and a lot of the organization is a lot younger than, than I am. Um, a lot of them are still in high school. And I just think that there's, there's kind of this, this energy that has been kind of building and building and building. Um, since I would say probably a major turning point for, even though it, it isn't our generation technically, it's more the millennials when you talk about the 2009 kind of um, recession. And then we, we talk about uh, Occupy and all those movements. I think that that kind of represented a shift in the, uh, the change of like the American left and it kind of, kind of brought about this quote unquote, I like to call it the new left, the new new left, <laughs> because the new left was kind of a term 
uh, that was brought about in the 60s. And it's something that I, I think that there's a lot of comparisons there and we'll get more into that later. Um, but I think that the, the energy that has been building since like Occupy, since the 2009 recession, since the Obama administration is kind of culminating in this new generation um, that is now getting older and they've grown in the shadow of, um, you know, they've grown in the shadow of both the Obama, the Obama administration, the Donald Trump administration, and now the Joe Biden administration. And they're kind of seeing across the board, whether or not it is a blue tie wearing president or a red tie wearing president, they're seeing that yeah, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't the way we want to go, you know. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of the activism comes from a lot of these social media spaces and it's allowing people who maybe a few generations ago would be on an island by themselves, you know, uh, a progressive surrounded by a bunch of moderates or a bunch of conservatives now has the ability to go onto social media and make friends with people who are across the country uh, who have the same ideas as them and bounce ideas off of each other in a way that we really haven't seen in the past. And I feel like that is what is crucial. And I think that's the most crucial piece to why this generation really seems to be kind of gaining this progressive energy is the idea that these these ideas aren't as isolated anymore. Um, these ideas are, are now uh, being given, uh, these kids are being given the, um, these kids are being given the opportunity to kind of bounce these ideas off of each other and, and really refine them and, and learn and, and learn together in a lot of ways. So I think that that's really important. So I would say social media is probably the main, the main uh, pulse behind the, the ever growing uh, progressive left-wing movement um, amongst Gen Z specifically. No, I completely agree. I, um, when I, when I'm looking at social media specifically, I think it's been such a large contributing factor to both the education and and I guess like long-term radicalization of Gen Z into like leftist politics more so than even like um, your your typical um, kind of like liberal progressive policymaking. Um, I, I think Gen Z and specifically in specific specifically sorry specifically Gen Z is very interesting in that they're a generation that has a lot of access to information through social media and access to I guess leftist ideas and uh, theory coupled with the fact that they're probably one of the first generations that hasn't been either, I guess, depending on the, your word choice, inundated or indoctrinated into this kind of Cold War um, red scare mentality. And I find that to be particularly interesting. I know for myself, my personal experience through doing social media activism on Twitter and TikTok has been um, that young people are extremely receptive to these ideas, even if they don't understand core components, they want to be educated. And a lot of people, I think, have these inklings of ideas they've kind of seen through their own lived experience and observations that once it's tied into a larger framework or once it's, um, it's brought into perspective by someone who might be more articulate um, or who might be better at like kind of putting together these thoughts into a good, into an educational format that they're really, really receptive. Um, I, I know Gen Z tends to be more left-leaning on social media, but I think even off of social media, I've seen a lot of energy um, both at protests, rallies, organizing, et cetera. Um, I know your organization, Done Waiting, has been really, really big on recruitment of really young energy and talent, um, which has been a really interesting dynamic at play for your organization and several other organizations that I know that are progressive or leftist in, in nature. Um, and that kind of activism coupled with a general willingness to learn and adapt um, and, it, well, put that theory into praxis, I guess, sort of into practice more so, um, is, is really fascinating um, for, the, for the younger generation. I, I wonder if that energy will hold and actually get, it, it, will, it will transfer 
into votes in major elections. Um, I, I don't think we've really seen that as of yet in anything other than the state and local level, um, with, with some notable exceptions, I suppose, Bernie Sanders being one of them um, to a degree. But I, it, it's interesting nonetheless, and I think it is a really left-leaning group. Um, you had mentioned earlier that you see parallels between some of what you're seeing here and what you, and what you kind of observed through um, researching history in the 60s. Do you want to expound upon that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm not the first person to come up with this theory. I'm going to be right, right, you know, right off the bat and, and <laughs> say that this is not my theory. I don't want to take credit for, for this, but I do really subscribe to this theory because I think it's really interesting when you draw the sheer number of parallels that can be drawn between kind of the boomers, the baby boomers, um, and kind of this new Gen Z, maybe, you know, I, I like to lump in like the, the youngest millennials also kind of fall into this too. Um, so I think that there's a lot of comparisons that can be made to the, the sixties and, you know, 2020, uh, in 2021 and going forward, I know that there were a lot of comparisons that were made last summer, um, because of just the sheer amount of political activity that was going on, um, be it black lives matter or the very contentious democratic primary. And then the, you know, ensuing presidential election, um, and a summer where everyone was kind of their lives were being turned on a head because of the pandemic, um, which also kind of adds to the pot of, um, <laughs> things that are really causing change. Um, and I, I think that there is so much comparison that can be made um, loosely and even specifically to the baby boomers. And I think that there is kind of a, a warning sign um, that can be, if you trace that, there's some warnings <laughs> when it comes to, we know how a lot of the baby boomer generation has turned out and how that, that generation, at least on paper, has kind of tended to go the way of a more right-leaning um, generation as a whole. Um, but I, I think I'd want to break down kind of quickly, like some comparisons that I drew down. Um, obviously, these can be critiqued. And these are just uh, comparisons that I see, you know, right off the bat as, as ones that kind of can lead you to the decision of like, oh, maybe like this is kind of why things are the way they are. So we know that the baby boomers were, you know, the generation of like peace, love and, and happiness, you know, no war, flower power, all that stuff. Uh, you know, we're talking like the 60s, which is like the most in, in American history, I think, aside from the generation that we currently live in, probably the most contentious political decade of uh, in American history. I think a lot of historians agree that the 60s was just wild. You know, you had uh, leaders of all movements all over the place getting assassinated and, and, and protests. And there was the civil rights movement and there was all these movements and all this upheaval and, and, and people just really wanting a change. Hey, you're listening to the soul strategies podcast. Take a moment to listen to some of our esteemed champions and their takeaways from the program. And I'm glad that I was a part of that, that I had the opportunity to even be involved with that, with some legitimate organizations that help people who want to do right by other people, you know, by communities. You know, utilize my, my resources, utilize my networks. Um, this has, the last month, I've had some tremendous things happen. It's your time to become a leader. Go to soulstrategies.com to find out more. I think you're seeing that a lot now, and I think the comparisons can be really drawn. So like, one of the very first things I see is war. Um, our generation, you know, the oldest of the uh, Zoomers, the Gen Z uh, generation, the oldest of them 
maybe a handful of them can remember 9-11. And I know a lot of them do remember, you know, the early days of the invasion of Iraq and obviously Afghanistan and these conflicts that have been going on our entire lives, especially the youngest uh, Gen Z, you know, the younger members of Gen Z who weren't born in like the late 90s have officially by U.S. standards not lived a day under peace. You know what I mean? These these conflicts have been going on, be it in the forefront or the background of our lives, um, really kind of showing, I think this is really kind of showing us um, uh, what exactly uh, is to be gained and to be lost by these conflicts that I think are overwhelmingly um, negatively uh, received by our generation. I don't think there's a lot of people in Gen Z who, who do see Iraq, Afghanistan, or any foreign intervention at this point, um, any foreign intervention in, in, in those affairs as a positive by our country. Um, this could be very the same as kind of how the war in Vietnam was kind of, you know, cast aside toward the mid to late 60s, especially um, by the students. You know, you had students for a democratic society and, and all of these student organizations that were holding these protests uh, on their campuses, draft card burnings um, and, and the like, basically saying, we don't want this war. You know, we don't want uh, our country to be, not only do we not want, we don't want to be over there killing Vietnamese people in a conflict that we feel we don't, we shouldn't be there. We also don't want, we don't want to have our friends and family be, be drafted and sent over there to fight in a war that they don't agree with either. Um, so I feel like that was really felt. And I think that that's kind of something that that really kind of brings the two together, as well as, you know, we're talking economics. Um, the 2008 recession is a big one. I know the oldest of our generation. Um, I know personally on a personal front, I was old enough in 2008 to at least be impacted by the recession. Uh, a lot of my friends as well. And I think that that kind of was one of the more early moments aside, along with the wars that kind of shaped our politics. You know, the 2008 recession, the 2020 recession, right? And the pandemic, that's another one that's kind of like a second wave of that, much to the same kind of, I think in a, in a different way than like the recessions that we saw kind of in the early seventies, right? The boomers also saw. As well as I think that another comparison that can be made is like these kind of, I think that now that Gen Z is kind of growing up and uh, we've kind of, we grew up kind of under the shadow of the Bush presidency, which we were kind of young for, uh, you know, the, the oldest of us were babies when Clinton was president, especially the Bush administration. We kind of grew up in that, but we weren't really politically active. We weren't old enough to be. Uh, the Obama administration is a lot of people's first memories of an administration. And I think that a lot of people grew up thinking the Obama administration was this, this beacon of, of good. And, and there was all these good things. And I think I always make the joke that like the first step of being a leftist is to be able to sit down, look yourself in the mirror and say, Obama wasn't a good president. And I think that that's one of the very first things that you can do, um, that the Obama administration had flaws and had faults. And obviously the Trump administration comes along and has a countless number of, of flaws <laughs> and problems that come with that. Right. And I think that's, a really that's good way of in, a, in another way, in like an entirely different way. Right. And then now we're back to Biden. And I think that we've just seen these unfulfilling administrations on both sides of the aisle. And that is something that the boomers also had, right. With, with Johnson, a democratic president, Nixon, who was a Republican president. And we, there's just, I think that there's kind of this rejection of this, of this, 
you know, status quo politics and the idea that like these mainstream politics really aren't moving the needle enough for us because we've lived under both and under both, we are seeing the same amount of suffering and the same amount of pain in our communities, you know? No, I completely agree. And I, I, I think even further than that, I, when I look at Gen Z, when we talk about politics and kind of like recent presidencies and such, I think the shortcomings of the Obama administration and the the evident shortcomings of the, the current Biden administration have really driven Gen Z further left. Um, this kind of refusal to buy into his like rhetoric that we've seen over the past few decades, that I think is very interesting, um, you know, particularly surrounding things like Medicare for all, uh, you know, college debt forgiveness, et cetera. You know, we're growing up as a generation that's disproportionately burdened by college debt statistically. We know that wages have stagnated um, compared when compared to um, growth and inflation of college debt costs in a way that uh, in a way of college costs that our previous generations really hadn't seen. So we're seeing an increase in our debt burden. And I think this increased hopelessness as costs rise around us and in wages tend to stagnate over time. Um, that's driving a lot of people in Gen Z to kind of cast away the typical talking points of both establishment parties. Um, whether that, you know, I, whether that be Republican talking points of, oh, we have to be scared of those who are foreign to us, for example, that xenophobic rhetoric, um, or it be the kind of liberal rhetoric of, oh, like we need to have small reforms to a system that is otherwise working, um, but needs to have uh, small changes in order to better the conditions of the working class, right? I think we have a lot of people in Gen Z that are very receptive to the idea that rather than simple small reforms, we need outright structural change. Um, and I think like part of that might be a result of the Sanders campaign's early successes. I really do think that a lot of the political um, activity of Gen Z can be traced back to the Sanders campaign, um, maybe a bit further back even than that for some, but I think it leftist and left-leaning, maybe uh, liberal, talking points, like progressive talking points became a lot more mainstream with the Sanders campaign. And then that dug in with um, the likes of like AOC, Omar, and others, uh, people who are dynamic figures who are able to kind of educate, but also give hope to a generation that otherwise doesn't buy into the rhetoric that we can just have small changes and everything will be okay. Um, and I think that's been really interesting to watch Gen Z's interactions with um, the Biden administration in particular, because there's this general um, I think generational divide between what each generation is willing to accept, um, you know, like millennials and older people, um, you know, older generations like uh, the boomers, for example, as you stated, I think are a lot more willing to be complacent with small reforms and changes, um, whether that be um, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords or uh, small um, statements um, calling for peace in certain um, in certain regions rather than actually structurally changing things, which is what I think Gen Z is more so demanding, whether that be Medicare for all, whether that be college debt forgiveness, free college, whether that be um, a general um, consciousness of not only domestic civil politics, whether, like, whether that be like um, support of the Black Lives Matter movement, like civil rights protests and movements, but also this kind of in integration of like an internationalist perspective towards these movements. I think Gen Z has been really particularly um, if, we're, if we're talking examples in the, in the news, I, I think Gen Z has been very, very receptive and very, very supportive of Palestinian liberation um, in the last few weeks, especially as it becomes more of a mainstream issue yet again in American politics, as it does periodically every couple of years. Um, 
where we're starting to see a new generation demand a kind of change that would be unpalatable to generations past. And I think that is fascinating. I, uh, what, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that the Sanders, uh, two Sanders uh, presidential campaigns, I think that the impacts, and I say this all the time to a lot of leftists, um, you know, a lot of my leftist colleagues, you know, obviously lie left of where Bernie Sanders is, right? Um, mm -hmm. And some of them, you know, Bernie Sanders didn't go far enough. Some of them just aren't electoralists. I think that the Sanders campaigns, I think the lasting impact of the Sanders campaigns was that it kind of gave light to this unifying voice of this liberal um, establishment rhetoric is not enough and we know it's not enough. So that's our guy. And I mm -hmm. think that that is something that cannot be understated. Um, I think that looking back once we're all old and dying, when you look back on the, at least this era of our generation's politics it is going to be highlighted by Senator Bernie Sanders and those campaigns and the, the subsequent rise of the Democratic Socialists of America and the squad and kind of how that politics was all of a sudden brought to the mainstream, how all of a sudden, you know, it's okay. You have a guy who almost won the nomination for the Democratic Party to run for president twice, who was openly calling himself a democratic socialist, something that is abhorrent to generations like our parents who lived under the Cold War, right? Like you said, this Cold War rhetoric of socialism and, and communism and all of these buzzwords that were used to kind of stir up um to stir up uh, anti-Russian, anti-Soviet, uh, you know, feelings and sentiment. You now have a man who is running for president who is beating Hillary Clinton, beating a former president in Joe Biden or former vice president in Joe Biden uh, in, in separate contests who calls himself a democratic socialist, something that was unheard of, I think, in previous generations. And I think that that kind of gave um, Gen Z the idea that like maybe this politics isn't so radical, you know? And if it is radical, I wanna be radical. And I think that that is the most important part of it. I think that the way you point out specifically the internationalist perspective and the fact that it seems like Americans for generations were content with the fact that America is gonna do its thing regardless of the impact it has on the rest of the world. I think that that is something that, again, the boomers had in the beginning, but then kind of gave away as they grew up, right? At least in the, I'm speaking in, in, the, in you know, the overbroad, painting with a broad brush on purpose here. Um, Gen Z has had increasing, increasing um, uh, sympathy for, for international causes, be it Palestinian liberation, right? Um, I think that that's something that Gen Z really looks upon as like, okay, we kind of see how we play a role in this. Why are we doing nothing to stop it? You know, and they look to see the person who a lot of the, you know, their parents, if their parents are liberals or their family who are liberals or the media is telling them, no, Joe Biden, this was the guy, like he was fixing all of the problems of the previous administration. He's doing nothing. In fact, he is actively aiding the problems that we are seeing come across our timelines every day. Something that we just can't turn a blind eye to, you know, if you have any shred of, you know, human 
humanity, you know, you can't turn a blind eye to the things that were happening. You're looking upon that and you're like, well, the guy that is in charge was supposed to be the guy to fix all of this. Right. That's what you're telling me, but it's not happening. So like, we don't want that. <laughs> so I think it's, it's this ability to be able to look upon these, like the, the, the neoliberal centrist liberal establishment kind of line and see that that's not it. That's, that's not what we want. We want a new, more left-leaning politics. We want a politics that takes into account the fact that joining the Paris climate agreement is not going to save the planet. You know, is it a better step? Is it a step in the right direction from exiting the Paris climate agreement? Absolutely. Is it the final step? Should we join the Paris climate agreement and like, you know, wipe our hands and say, well, guys, we did it. Absolutely not. And our generation knows that because we're not playing with house money like a lot of these older generations are. Our generation is going to be one of the first generations to reap the consequences of human, um, of like the human disregard for the planet when we come to these environmental issues, right? We are seeing it in real time. And we know that our generation and our kids' generations uh, are going to be the ones that are going to have to deal with this. We have a sense of urgency to our politics that I feel like a lot of previous generations do not have because they kind of had this ability of like, oh, we're playing with house money. We'll take these, we'll take these, you know, small incremental reforms. Our generation, our generation doesn't want that because we know that that's not enough. At the end of the day, we've seen, you know, we lived <laughs> under an administration that was in the Paris Climate Agreement. We still had the rise of of the Green New Deal, the rise of Sunrise Movement, the rise of all of these more environmental organizations and environmental causes under the Paris Climate Agreement, we know that rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement isn't what solves it. And we're not going to be told that everything is fine because of that, because we have that knowledge that more needs to be done. And that's kind of the idea of our generation. It's, it's more, more, more. We want, we want broad reform. We want to reform this entire thing because we know that the way we are trending is not a good one. And regardless of these incremental you know, steps that we can take, we've run out of time to be incrementalists. And I feel like that's something that our generation overwhelmingly feels um, is that the, the time to be incrementalist is gone. And to loop it back around, I think that the presidency, uh, the, the presidential campaign of Bernie Sanders in 2016 against Hillary Clinton, who was, you know, overwhelmingly kind of, you know, held up as this is the next person. She's next in line. You know, the ability for him to run a campaign that was based on policy and to get policy across the ballot and have him disrupt what was supposed to be a cakewalk for Hillary Clinton to the presidency um, in a way that, you know, wait a second, there is a divide here. There's people who aren't going to say, yeah, we want a continuation of the Obama era. Um, and such, and going on to 2020, I think that like I said, the, the, the Bernie Sanders presidency is, is that main beacon. And I think that that's kind of the, the, the broad uh, umbrella of like showing like, yeah, this is kind of where things are going. And it's now been normalized to let things go that way. And then that's when you get into all of the smaller details underneath, like the DSA, like the squad, like the rise of TikTok as a means to talk about your politics, right? and social media being used to normalize politics that were completely, are completely ignored um, on CNN, on MSNBC, on Fox News. You know what I mean? No, I completely agree. And I, I think that is also combined with the fact that, um, it's actually uh, an interesting side note. Uh, so Gen Z, um, 
music reviewer Anthony Fantano once pointed out in regards to the adoption of uh, uh, towards like Gen Z's reaction towards new artists being that they emphasize generationally this idea of, of, of authenticity, of art, of politics, of self. And inauthentic actors and inauthentic rhetoric oftentimes fall very short with Gen Z as a generation. And so I think when we look at these like historical incrementalist talking points, these historical liberal talking points, or, you know, Joe Biden's uh, platform and, and rhetoric, generally, it, it's not accepted very well by younger generations who deem it as inauthentic or deem it as um, not enough. And I think a lot of what I see on my end through my social media outreach on TikTok, particularly, is a lot of young people who are essentially calling BS on it and, and, and saying that, like, you know, it's weird as a 16 or 18 year old that, like, you know, I've seen this countless times where someone will say it's weird as an 18 year old that I have a better grasp, I think, of some of these issues than um, actual politicians. Um, and, and oftentimes some of these kids are more well read than some of their older counterparts as well. It, it, it's a very weird divide that actually breaks up a lot of age-based assumptions that one might make, especially in regards to Gen Z. One of the, um, not only more politically engaged, but I think politically intelligent um, generations w when it comes to not even just theory, but general lived experience translating into policy. And I think that's such a fascinating thing. But I completely agree. I, I think that coupled with a very, very authentic Bernie Sanders campaign um, with with rhetoric that was adopted and, and and loved by so many because it 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 spoke to them, not at them. And it, I guess, in a way, really, really spoke to a lot of concerns that I think our generation has, whether that be environmental policy, um, whether that be um, internationalist human rights issues. Um, our generation has adopted human rights um, in a way that I haven't seen other generations do so. I, I think at best, the millennial generation got to a standpoint of kind of this humanitarian interventionalist perspective where it was like, well, when things get really bad, maybe we should do something. But now we're seeing um, a generation of people who, as soon as they see a flash, or as soon as they see a flashpoint in, in something, whether it be um, Israel's occupation of Palestine or whether it be um, Yemen or Syria or to a lesser degree, Libya, you start seeing just this energy for immediate and large changes in what we're doing to accommodate or solve these problems. And I think that is really, really fascinating. We've gone beyond this kind of rhetoric, this kind of rhetorical defense of like, well, there's a, it's so complicated, there's almost so much we can do, to Gen Z resoundingly refuting that and saying it's really not that complicated. Um, but he, you know, the solutions might be, but the problems are pretty straightforward. Um, and I think that's a really fascinating shift from previous generations personally. But, you know, when I'm really looking at Gen Z, I see a transformation to more, I guess, more so leftist politics than even liberal politics. You know, we've been saying left leaning over the past um, couple of minutes. And I think it's important to note that by left leaning, the two of us particularly mean socialist um, is a bare minimum. And I think that's very fascinating. This idea that an entire generation has suddenly come up and not only adopted, but in some ways fallen into this sort of romance with leftist theory and literature and policymaking 
in such a way that other generations never, not only not and never had the opportunity really to due to the Cold War and and I guess more so due to this kind of um, this red scare mentality that's filtered through American politics up until the day. But they've, they've been able to build this kind of base um, that just hasn't existed functionally, I guess, to the same scale um, and in the same mainstream sense as Gen Z. And I think that's really, really interesting. No, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, work from people such as yourself on TikTok. And I think a lot of social media kind of gives birth to that idea. I think the internet is really, I think we know how big of an impact, I think we think we know how big of an impact the internet has had on our culture, but I think we really don't know. And I think that when we look back upon these years of like, you know, we're kind of past early internet age now, and we've kind of kind of figured out how we've got whole generations that have grown up using the internet their entire lives. I think that the connectivity as a world that it's given us has kind of allowed our generation when it comes to politics to kind of step back and listen to people who live in other countries who look at us and go, uh, Americans politics are so skewed. Um, you know, you have a guy elected president who one side of the aisle calls a progressive, the other side of the aisle calls him a communist and we just see him as a conservative. But this is the, this is the type of, politics that you guys have over there is you have and you know the, the the term is Overton window right the Overton window in the United States has shifted dramatically to the right and I think the presidency of Donald Trump pulled that Overton window even further to the right and that's a conversation for another day but um, I think that we have an ability to kind of see that it offers us a perspective we can reach out we can use um, different social media apps TikTok Instagram Clubhouse Discord Twitter to, to get this perspective, this outside perspective on our politics from people who look upon us and go, wow, like America really doesn't have a left wing party. You guys have a right wing party and a center right wing party. And in within the center right wing party, there are people who push for left wing politics here and there. And then there's people who've made a career out of it. But that number is very, 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 very small. Um, and I think that that's something that we have had the ability to see. And I, I think that like I said, going back to like TikTok and, and, and how TikTok has really become this place for left-wing politics to thrive. Um, uh, we were having this conversation before the podcast, and I, I think this is something that we should definitely bring up. The fact of the matter is that when you talk about politics on TikTok and TikTok's tool as a political, uh, TikTok's use as a political tool, the left is, has the most to gain from this in the fact that when you talk about like the very few liberal or conservative commentators on TikTok, their content isn't as informational, it isn't as educational, it isn't as nuanced, purely because they don't need it to be. Because if you are a liberal or you're a conservative or you're a centrist, you just have to go downstairs to your living room and turn on the TV and watch CNN to get those talking points that they're going to give you or, or turn on MSNBC or turn on, uh, read the newspaper, go on Facebook. It's everywhere. Like the information that they're going to give you is everywhere. Those perspectives are so abundant in our culture that, that they don't need to be represented to you in a way that, that is an educational framing because you're getting that all the time. And I think that that kind of forces leftists on TikTok to kind of 
slow down and, and be because they're the only real source in a lot of ways. The internet is kind of one of the only sources that you're going to get these experiences if you are a kid who lives in the middle of rural Kansas and you are a huge Noam Chomsky fan, but you can't talk to anyone else who even knows who Noam Chomsky is, let alone believes his ideas, right? TikTok is offering you that because the TikTok creators are in a place where they want to have these nuanced conversations because these conversations need to be had in a way that can really reach the audience that they are intended to reach. You know, they have to be well flushed out thoughts. They have to be fully nuanced conversations. They have to be people bouncing ideas off of each other. Right. And I think that that's something that is so incredibly important when you're talking about the use of social media as a tool for the, for the, any leftist um, political thought. Right. And I think that that is another big reason why Gen Z has kind of had this shift to the left is that we primarily do see a lot of our information um, on social media and social media has the ability to have somebody who is not paid for, you know, who is not bought by the same corporations that buy our politicians to go on and give you talking points that are going to subdue you into believing, yeah, maybe, you know, you know, maybe uh, money in politics, corporate money in politics, not such a bad thing, right? Like, you're not going to believe that if you're on TikTok, right? Because <laughs> you're hearing information given to you by real Americans who have real thoughts, you know, who aren't being paid to tell you something most of the time, unless they're holding a bang energy can in their hand. Um, so I think that, um, I think that honestly, the, the, the kind of trends that we're seeing, um, the conversations that we're seeing on these apps are really kind of helping. And it's kind of really led to what is the leftist, in my opinion, the leftist domination of these political platforms because those conversations are so nuanced as opposed to a conservative account, which primarily just posts like meme content or tries to bait the liberal comment, the liberal creators or the leftist creators into engaging with them. You know, instead you're getting like, oh, here's a 10 part breakdown on the wretched of the earth by ex leftist, uh, you know, by like, you know, insert leftist TikTok creator here. These are conversations you're not getting from the liberals, from the conservatives, from the centrists. You know, you're not getting those conversations on these platforms because they don't need to be had on these platforms. They are conversations that are had everywhere else, if that makes sense. No, I completely agree. I, I think TikTok for a lot of people, especially in Gen Z and a lot of younger people is, I, I, I want to say like a, a sort of oasis in a sense of leftist thought. Um, I, I think TikTok, from my experience, does have a lot of different political commentators, whether that be anyone from like your run-of-the-mill Democrats and Republicans to very far right, like anarcho-capitalist and, and conservative actors, um, all the way on the left, you have, um, you know, you have, you have open communists <laughs> uh, talking on the app alongside other socialist leftists, um, eco-socialists such as yourself, um, socialists such as myself. And you're seeing this kind of really interesting, I guess, coalition be built amongst leftist creators um, and a lot of information being pushed out. You know, I, I look at a good friend of mine. Um, I won't say, I, you know, I'll give you his handle on TikTok is uh, the Communard. And I think he is a, re or they are a really good example of, I think the educational content um, 
because what they're able to do and what I see a lot of is like breakdowns of these like critical issues, the theory of books. And I think a lot of leftist creators like the communard, uh, myself, yourself, I, I think are really, really good at distilling a lot of really, what has historically been, and I think even today is really dense theory and concepts into kind of catchy one minute videos, um, into kind of catchy, um, well, I guess up to three minutes now for some of us. <laughs> But up to like, you know, like either making memes or like like conservatives do to a degree, but also making really nuanced conversation out of a minute. And I think that really feeds into Gen Z's kind of um, lack of attention span, I think, to a degree, uh, myself included. But I, I, I think that TikTok has become a really, really big um, point of growth for leftist politics because it's, it's so engaging, the algorithm works in such a way that anyone who has any inkling of, of, of wanting knowledge is going to be able to find it. Um, even if they're not actively looking, you know, TikTok's algorithm, their for you page prioritizes content they think you're gonna wanna see. So if you engage with one or two leftist creators, all of a sudden you're in a rabbit hole <laughs> of, of seeing them all over your for you page. I know that's how I am with mine. Um, although I, you know, admittedly I, I am a leftist content creator on TikTok, so it makes sense that my For You page is reflective of that. But it is still interesting, nonetheless, to see so many people, I, I think especially young um, 16 to 18 year olds that have you know, commented on my videos or DM me privately saying that they had never thought about some of these issues um, or that they had historically seen these issues as being really difficult or complex. But once they hear them broken down, once they kind of get an understanding of what is at stake or what is going on, um, or get this kind of background to be able to help them either find things to educate themselves or to actually just educate them in, a, in, a, in either a series of videos or whatever. Um, again, I reference the communard because they are able to break down really, really complex, like theoretical books, like Wretched of the Earth, as you stated, um, Lenin, Staten, uh, the Staten Revolution, et cetera, um, where and actually give these young people, and I... A, a good enough bare bones understanding that is still accessible to where they can go out and then start to learn or they can go out and start talking with their friends, having conversations and that that social element, that interaction with people who are able to distill that information, I think is driven a lot of people in Gen Z to be really, really, um, if not, if, if not, um, has not brought them to being in agreement with leftist thought at least to be able to ponder it as being something that isn't crazy. Um, I, I think um, when we speak of at least what we're seeing now out of millennials, at least older millennials, what we're seeing now out of the boomers, what we're seeing out of some other people, um, other older generations even historically, is this hesitancy to even platform or legitimize leftist talking points. Whereas now we're seeing it discussed in the mainstream. Um, even reactionary conservatives, like um, even like Fox News, Tucker Carlson, other actors of that nature, um, social media activists and pundits like Ben Shapiro, uh, they have to acknowledge leftist existence and talking points in a way that drives conversation rather than kind of just acts as this weird um, McCarthy era, to like, oh, hush, don't talk about this. It's just blatantly wrong kind of dynamic. And I think that's very interesting, personally. No, absolutely. I agree. I think that, like you stated, I think it's it's it shows a lot about the way that 
our political culture in America was versus the way it's going. That, and I, I have this conversation with 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 you all the time, and a lot of my friends. I make the I I think it's really interesting that you know you can have kids on YouTube who are watching Fortnite videos, and all of a sudden they're on Ben Shapiro, and I think that the accessibility that these more right-wing commentators and definitely like Ben Shapiro, these, these right-wing to far right-wing commentators had had in the past in a way that the left-wing had not in America at all, anywhere. The accessibility that they had is now they're losing that accessibility advantage to, to leftist creators, which is a good thing. And I, I cannot stress enough how happy I am that one of the most popular Twitch streamers is an open socialist in Hassan Piker, you know, um, a man who's, who he, he, he kind of sees his, his platform as a way to kind of catch the kids who could go down that quote unquote alt-right pipeline, right? The traditional gamer to Ben Shapiro fan pipeline that used to kind of exist. And I think that TikTok also serves in a way to kind of catch uh, the youngest of our generation and kind of, you know, keep them away from that hatred and keep them away from that pipeline. And I think that that's something that we did not have in the past. You know, we had, you know, like I said, like you, like you pointed out, it was kind of this hush, hush, don't talk about it kind of thing. And, you know, to bring it all back around, I think that 2015, the launch of the Bernie Sanders campaign, the normalization of the S word in socialism, the fact that you can say that word and, you know, maybe your parents will gasp, you know, and maybe they'll get a little uneasy. But you have to explain to them that, look, as a socialist, I believe in an equitable society for everyone. I believe in uplifting the marginalized. And I believe that, you know, everyone should have the right to live as comfortably as they can, right? At the expense of no one else. When you kind of break it down to them in that way, you kind of break through that cold war rhetoric that was kind of passed down in our politics and our culture that was kind of seen for generations that kept these past generations from even going anywhere near any leftist ideology. Right. And I think that quite honestly, um, I, I, I think that that's a good thing. I think that it's working. I think that I'm, I'm really, really happy and I'm impressed by the way that TikTok specifically has kind of changed the game. Twitter as well. Um, you're seeing a more platform platforming of more uh, left wing, uh, you know, Twitter uh, commentators. Uh, and, and this is now reflecting in our politics. Right. We, we see the election of more and more left wing um, people at a federal level. Right. We're, we're talking about the squad, you know, and, and yes, the squad can be to the left or to the right of a lot of leftists, right? That most leftists, the squad sits kind of to the right of where they are, but it is a step in the right direction, right? It is a step towards a true left-wing representation in America, one that has been lacking as a block, right? One that has been lacking for generations, um, if not for the entirety of our country's creation, right? Um, something that all these other countries have, you know, that we do not have and, and, and leftists from, from countries, um, not in America, you know, they look upon us and they go, you know, like if I want to vote, like, like if, if you're, if you're in Ireland and you want to vote people before profit, yeah, there's somebody on the ballot for you, you know, in, in the United States, 
and any given person, like any given election, like you have maybe the greens, or if you're lucky, there is a progressive Democrat running. If not, you're kind of out, you know? And I think that that's something that this kind of movement has given us is that it starts from the bottom. It starts from everyday kids. It starts from kids who are 16 years old, sitting in front of their, their phone, making a video about how they want to learn about leftist theory. What are some books I can read? And someone finds it, comments on, oh, hey, try this one, try this book, try this book. And then that eventually, you know, more people get involved. They start reading more. They start bouncing ideas off of other people. And that small, like, movement kind of grows and it grows all the way to the top. And that's something that I'm really, really invigorated by is the fact that this generation kind of from the ground up is, is becoming more and more of a left-leaning traditional, like true left-leaning uh, generation. And it, it's, it's very, it's, it's, there's a lot to be enthusiastic for and there's a lot to be definitely excited for in our future. Well, I absolutely love that. And I'm glad that we were able to kind of wrap that up because I'm thinking like, uh, just to be cognizant of time, uh, we should just end it here. Uh, but I do appreciate you coming on again. Uh, this uh, for everyone who hadn't, uh, who has already forgotten, probably uh, the guest currently is Josh Willis. Uh, you can find him on TikTok at Steez the Means, and you can find him on the Done Waiting Twitter as he is the Twitter director for the progressive organization Done Waiting. Uh, any any final closing thoughts on your end, Josh? As somebody who grew up in a majority Republican district, I just have to say that if you are a progressive and if you are a specifically younger progressive, um, go out and start an org or go out and start a group on Facebook and, and, and give yourself community. Um, give yourself a place where you can bounce ideas off of other people in your community and, and, and allow yourself to kind of feel like you're not as much out on an island, if that makes sense. I think that the, the best thing that we can do when we have our politics is to feel like we're not crazy and to feel like we're not kind of out alone. And I think that if you have this kind of bubble of your friends that say, no, like you're totally right. Like Medicare for all, great idea. <laughs> we need a Green New Deal. That's a good idea. If you're with a group of people, you can withstand the constant pressure from all around you, be it your family or your other friends or the media telling you, no, you don't need those things. Like you're, 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 too, you're too radical for believing that. If you have a group of people, of like-minded people, you can resist that and eventually you can go out and bring more people in. So I think that that's probably my, my words of parting is go out, find some like-minded individuals and, and bounce ideas off each other and create community because that's how we're going to do this thing. We're going to create community and we're going to find community much in the way that we have on social media. And I, I think that there is a lot there is a very, very bright future for this generation if we are able to kind of hold our ground, hold the line, and just create that community and create those spaces. All right, amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope everyone had a fun time listening. Uh, we're gonna get out of here, but uh, as I've always said in the past in a lot of my videos, I hope everyone has an amazing day.